I met a guy some time ago who, who came up to me before the church service and told me that he wasn't sure why he was here. And so I kind of watched him during the service, and, and I noticed his facial expression was very unchanging. Can I say that? I mean, he just, he, he looked at me almost like he looked, it's like he looked through me. He didn't look at me. He looked through me, kind of this vacant look, like there was something else that he was thinking about. And no matter what I said, his facial expression didn't change the whole time. And I thought, this guy's never coming back. And he left quietly when the service was over. I thought I wasn't going to see him again. But the next week, there he was, in the same place he had been before. And his demeanor throughout that service was exactly the same. Just this stone face with eyes that revealed nothing about what was going on inside his head. Week after week, he came. And finally, after one service, I took the risk of engaging him in a conversation that I thought would probably last a little longer than he was comfortable with. And I asked him a few personal questions. Until at one point, although his facial expression did not change... I saw a single tear roll down that stone face. And that was when I realized that behind that guy's poker face was a man with the same kind of wounds and fears and uncertainties that I have and that you may have. You may say, well, you don't know me. No, but I know people. And I know that we're all pretty good at hiding what we don't want others to see. And I know that although nobody else in this room can see what's in your heart, there is something there that makes you being here more than a coincidence. Maybe you're not religious, but there's a part of you that is just starting to search for something spiritual. It might be because of a change you have seen taking place in somebody else's life, or, or it may be because you've had a personal experience that you just can't explain without God. Whatever it was that flicked that nerve in your soul, um, you are suddenly open to the spiritual world in a way that you never were before. You may hide it well, but you really do want to know if there is something more. Or maybe you've been a Christian for so long that you don't even remember you know, what it was like to live without faith. You grew up in the church, or um, at some point you had an encounter with God that was so real and so powerful that you turned on a dime and committed your life to Christ right then and there. And now the church is, is it's just like your family. Um, and others in, in, in that family, they look up to you because of your faith. But they don't know about the doubts that have started to haunt you. An unexpected trial or um, unending pain or unanswered prayer. Like anything like that can, can really test your faith and, 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 and make you start to, start to wonder if everything that you've ever believed is really true or it was just what got you through. And so right now, now, others don't see it, but the truth is you're kind of in a no-man's land. You're a believer who isn't so sure that you still believe what you believe. Or maybe behind that stone face of yours today is a broken heart. Um, you've lost somebody that you loved deeply. There was a time when you bought the line that death is just a natural part of life, but 
this person's death is the most unnatural thing you've ever experienced. All you want is to see them again. And you know that life after death is something that Jesus talked about. And you've never really been into Jesus before, but now suddenly he has something that you want. And it's causing you to take a fresh look at him, albeit covertly. Or maybe you've always been secure in your rejection of the Christian faith because you thought that it was against something that you are for or for something that you are against. You simply disagreed with the Christian ethic. You think that you have found a more enlightened way. But, and and you would never want anybody to know this, but that belief system that you put your faith in and the lifestyle that it led you to isn't satisfying to your soul. You can't imagine ever admitting that you were wrong, but part of you wonders if maybe Jesus had it right. Whether I've described you or not, I know, one, that there is more to you than meets the eye, and two, that you are not here by accident. You are here on a day when Christians celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ came back to life after he died. And, you know, we believe that that really happened. We don't think that it was a myth. It wasn't a metaphor. We believe that Jesus flatlined on a Friday, no heartbeat, no brainwaves, and that some 36 hours later, he came back to life never to die again. And if that really happened, then it offers guidance to seekers and and reassurance to doubters and hope to mourners and, um, and, and proof to skeptics. In one way or another, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is relevant to whatever is going on inside of you, but only if it's true. And so what I'd like to do just for the next few minutes this morning is to share with you um, why I believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened. I'm going to try to appeal to your mind, even though I know that the place that faith takes root is in your heart, because sometimes our mind has to be convinced before our heart can believe. So let me just give you three numbers that summarize the most compelling evidence to me, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. First is the number 500. Actually, 500 plus, because that's how many people claimed that they saw Jesus alive after he died. Seven different historical documents in the New Testament include eyewitness accounts of people who saw the resurrected Jesus in the days and weeks after he died. He appeared at least 12 different times, and on at least eight of those occasions, he appeared to more than one person at the same time. Many of those people not only saw Jesus, but actually touched him. Uh, Some of them ate with him. Almost all of them talked with him. In a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the members of a church in a city called Corinth, he reminded them of what he had told them just a few years earlier that Christ died for our sins. 
as written in the Scriptures. In other words, when he says as written in the Scriptures, it means that this was actually predicted by prophets of God hundreds of years before it actually happened. Before Jesus died on that cross, the prophets said that he would come and that he would do that, and that he was buried and that he was raised to life three days later as written in the Scriptures. That is, his resurrection was also foretold by prophets centuries ahead of time. And that he, Jesus, appeared to Peter and then to all 12 apostles. And then, look at it, he appeared to more than 500 of his followers at once, most of whom were still alive, although some have died. Then he appeared to James and afterward to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared also to me. So Paul said, I myself saw him. And if you think that I've lost my marbles, go check it out for yourself. I can point you to hundreds of people who have seen Jesus alive since his death. And I know that we might say, well, maybe uh, they wanted so badly to see him that they thought they saw him. Okay, I'll admit that's possible. But how likely is it that 500 people would all see the same person at the same time in the same way if all of them were hallucinating. And actually, not everyone who saw the resurrected Jesus were devotees. I mean, there were skeptics that saw him. One person who saw Jesus after he died uh, was his half-brother, James. Now, James certainly did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God before he died. He thought he was out of his mind until he saw him resurrected. After which, he believed in Jesus so strongly that he proclaimed the resurrection until he was stoned to death by those who wanted to silence him. I have to ask, why would James have been willing to die for this faith that actually didn't even start in him until after his brother had died? He wasn't even a Christian until after Jesus died. So how do you explain the fact that he was willing to, to die for this faith other than the fact that he actually saw Jesus alive after he died. And, and then Paul, who said in this letter that Jesus appeared to him, he, he was an enemy of Christianity when that happened. One day he was hunting Christians down. The next day he was preaching that Christ is Lord. And he kept right on preaching in the face of persecution and torture and eventually execution. Why didn't he recant? Because he had seen Jesus with his own two eyes. After he died, he saw him alive. More than 500 people had that experience. And Paul wrote about it during their lifetime so that they could still be cross-examined. So to say that the resurrection is a myth requires disregarding the eyewitness testimony of a whole lot of people. And I think the reason those testimonies are in the Bible is because God knows that we need tangible proof. Say, well, no, faith pleases God. Yeah, but not, not blind faith, not mindless faith. God asks us to believe what we thought was impossible based on compelling evidence. And then the second number that reminds me that, that faith has a factual basis, is the number 11. Um, 11, that's how many of Christ's original 12 
disciples proclaimed his resurrection until the day they died. The twelfth was Judas Iscariot, who committed suicide after he betrayed Jesus. So he didn't live long enough to witness Christ's resurrection. But the other 11 went to their graves insisting that Jesus literally, physically rose from the dead. And it wasn't a conspiracy that they colluded on. It was actually an event that fit none of their preconceptions. When Jesus told them that he was the Messiah, that that, that he was the long-awaited, God-anointed King of the Jews, they thought that that meant that he was going to be a powerful military and political leader who would overthrow the Roman government and establish Israel as the world's new superpower. So when he was arrested and then executed by the Romans, those disciples thought that was the end of the story. In fact, because they were loyal to him, they thought their own lives were in danger. They went and locked themselves in a house for fear that the authorities were going to come after them next. But guess who showed up instead? Jesus did. He appeared to them behind locked doors. And he invited them to touch the nail wounds in his wrists and the spear wound in his, his torso. He actually appeared to them multiple times. And that's why in the book of Acts, which picks up the story of Jesus after his resurrection, the apostles were no longer hiding. Now suddenly they were, they were preaching boldly, bravely. And every single sermon was on the exact same subject, the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts 2, they said, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. They said, it's not a story we made up, we saw it. Again, in Acts 3, they said, you killed the author of life. They're just preaching this big crowd in the temple in Jerusalem. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. And so many people became Christians after hearing that that the religious authorities arrested the apostles and and, and they threw them in jail. And when they questioned them, you know, the, the, the apostles responded to their questions by proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus to them. They said, Jesus is alive. And they said, you know, you're going to have to stop doing that. Don't, don't say that anymore. And their response was, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. So in Acts 5, again, they're in the temple proclaiming to the crowds of people, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. And we are witnesses of these things. Again, they were arrested and flogged. That is, they were beaten in the same way that Jesus was beaten before he was crucified. The authorities thought maybe this will shut them up, but it didn't. The same chapter says that after that, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The only way to shut these guys up was to kill them. And so that's exactly what they did. You know that every record we have of how the apostles died say that all but one, 10 of the 11, died as martyrs. They, they refused to renounce their faith in the resurrection of Jesus And so they were killed. Simon Peter, the leader of the apostles, was crucified. Upside down, he said. Do it upside down because I don't deserve to die in the same way that Jesus died. 
and Thomas. He was the one who said, unless I, unless I see the, the wounds in his, in his wrists, in his side, and actually touch them myself, I won't believe. And so Jesus gave him the opportunity to do that. And he preached the resurrection until he was killed by arrows in India. And then there was Andrew who was crucified in Greece and Philip who was crucified in Caesarea and Bartholomew who was crucified in Armenia and James the son of Zebedee who was killed by the sword in Jerusalem and Matthew who was killed by the sword in Ethiopia. Only one apostle, John, died a natural death and he was on an island in exile because of his preaching of the resurrection when he died. So how do you explain 11 cowards suddenly preaching the resurrection of Jesus courageously in spite of imprisonment and torture and even death? You might say, well, martyrdom isn't proof of anything. A lot of people die for their beliefs. We see it all the time these days. Yes, we do. But how many people do you see die for something that they know is not true? That's what these 11 men would have had to do if they had made up the story of the resurrection. The only reasonable explanation for their transformation is that they saw Jesus with their own eyes. They watched him die, and they saw him alive after he died. And then the third number that appeals to my mind on its way to my heart is the number one, which reminds me of the one empty tomb that still confounds skeptics. For 2,000 years, people have been coming up with new theories about what happened to the body of Jesus. But here are the facts. After Jesus was flogged and crucified and confirmed to be dead through a spear thrust into his heart, his body was taken down from the cross. It was wrapped in cloths and spices weighing up to 75 pounds. And then that mummified body was placed in a cave, a tomb, the mouth of which was covered with a huge stone disc that was rolled downhill against the entrance. And then to make sure that the grave could not be tampered with, something like police tape was stretched across the covering of that grave, affixed on either side by government authorities. And then at least four Roman soldiers stood guard in front of the tomb. The penalty for sleeping on the job or for deserting their post was death. But on Sunday morning, the soldiers were gone. The stone was sitting some distance away, uphill. And inside that that tomb, there was this vacant cocoon of linen strips. And the burial cloth that had covered Jesus' head, neatly folded by itself. The only thing that was missing was the body of Jesus. And suddenly, the previously fearful disciples began to fearlessly proclaim the resurrection of Jesus in the city of Jerusalem, the very place where he was killed and where he was buried. Their message could have been silenced forever with one simple act. Go to the tomb, get the body, wheel it through the streets. That's the end of it. But they couldn't do that because there wasn't a body there. And so instead, the anti-Christian authorities tried to silence the preaching of the resurrection by threatening the messengers, and then by torturing them, and then by killing them. But that message has lived on, and it's still being proclaimed today because nobody has ever been able to produce the bones of Jesus. 
500 interviewable witnesses, 11 unstoppable apostles, one empty tomb. This is the historical evidence that makes faith in Jesus more rational than unbelief. And you need to know that if you're trying to figure out which religion, if any, gets it right. You need to remember it when disorienting life experiences test your faith. You need to cling to it when you wonder if you will ever see your loved ones again. And you need to ponder it if you think that faith is incompatible with common sense. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then right after he said that, Jesus asked a question. Do you believe this? Do you? The Scripture says if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death, which all of us deserve because of the ways that we have disobeyed God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And then it says that Christ died for sins. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. And then he was raised to life three days later, never to die again. That's the message that we celebrate and proclaim today. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we um, believe and we declare that Jesus is alive. Thank you so much that you did not ask of us to just take it by faith, but that you, you, you guided us, you, you showed us the way through the resurrection of Jesus. And you, you gave us a, a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to us, that we are actually going to live forever because of what Jesus did for us. We are so thankful for that today. We want to pray for those right now whose faith is wavering because of life experiences they have had that they just don't understand, that they can't make sense of. They don't understand how you could love them and allow them to go through this. May the resurrection give them reassurance today. We pray for those who are grieving right now, that, that are missing somebody that they lost. We pray that you would comfort their broken hearts and that you would give them hope of seeing their loved ones again because of what Jesus did. And we pray for those who have never before believed. Maybe because they've never really thought that this could actually be true. May what they've heard today um, speak to their mind and seep down into their heart. Thank you that you, Lord, have an answer for every need that we have and that we sometimes hide. And that answer is Jesus. We are so grateful for him today. In his name we pray. Amen.